No, I, I totally agree with you that I, I think that when people are inherently marketing politically, that it's it's clear that you're not in this to either you're making enough money and you have enough customers or you're not in it to make money and, uh, you know, have have other motives, which is totally fine in a free. And, and that's the thing is like apparently to uh, be appealing to uh, people on that side, all you have to do is just not be a dick. Don't actively be hostile towards them. And they and, and they <laughs> yeah. want to give you their business. <laughs> yeah. It's amazing how this that guy works. doesn't make me feel like shit about myself. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the A Better Way to A podcast with Andrew and Jordan. And this week we've got Sinistral Rifleman. Russell Fagan. Uh, that means he's left-handed, by the way. Uh, a real, real industry veteran. Uh, I don't know how long he's been working in the gun industry, uh, but probably longer than I have been aware of my own thoughts. So, um, how are you doing, Russell? I'm doing all right. How about you guys? <laughs> doing great, man. Great. Doing that great. was uh, it was the epitome of a of a of a late night introduction right there. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we have hey a guys, different sort of genre. Easy listening with the a better way to a podcast. We are it your get, hosts. It gets that way when we record at night. <laughs> yeah, it, I think when you're close to the microphone, it, it it tends to make you want to talk softly because you don't want to yell yeah. in your guest's ear, which is polite of you, and, and I'm, I appreciate that as well. I like being whispered too. <laughs> yeah, so thanks for coming on, Russell. Um, really appreciate you you taking the time to do this. I forget whether it was uh, us that reached out to you or vice versa, but um, the last it was meant to be either way. Yeah, exactly. And I think you're to be fair, you're probably somebody that we would have had on the podcast eventually. And uh, it just so happens that because of uh, recent events, we we decided to make this a little bit more. Um, prioritize if that's yeah if that's the case yeah if that's the word you want to look for it um so everybody's I, I asking guess, everybody's asking are gun rights for everyone seems like everybody's seems to be the posting a little posting a little clip or posting a story post are gun rights for everyone which doesn't seem to me like a controversial question well i, I think but, i kind uh, of kicked it off myself about two weeks ago with my own social media yeah. posts uh, and it's interesting watching that kind of spill out uh, from a localized forum battle to uh, somewhat uh, gun community wide on Instagram and other social media outlets. And, yeah. uh, you know, the, the the main reason that I ended up posting that I believe the Second Amendment is for everyone a couple of weeks ago is I've seen a disturbing trend in this industry and, and community that uh People don't want to acknowledge that rights exist for people they disagree with politically, socially, or lifestyle-wise. And I think that's a very short-sighted view. It's it's anti-American. It's you know anti-constitution. And you know I always recognize that for my rights to exist, other people's rights have to exist. Hell yeah, that's, oh, that's... that is the uh, the the what is it? The, that's the double-edged sword right there. Is that in order for us to have? The rights that we have, we have to allow people we disagree with to have the same rights. Otherwise, you know, it's they're not rights, they're privileges. And but I wouldn't even I wouldn't even call it a double edged sword, right? Because like 
you know, it's like you say double-edged sword. That means it can come back and like cut you too, but you're not necessarily hurt when somebody you don't like has rights. No, but it gives them the same. Sure. It, it sure. levels the playing field. And, and it's I only, don't it's think only that's a, a double-edged bad thing. sword if you're trying to kill somebody. Yeah. Yeah. Well, luckily, you know, there's only a certain right that allows us the ability to do that, but uh, not yeah. killing each other, but, you know, makes it easier. <laughs> Protecting, but that's yeah. what I mean is, is it's not, it's a double-edged sword in the sense that people seem to want to have their cake and eat it too, where there are people that I've never, you know, it, it's, I've never seen this before. Granted, I'm, I'm relatively new to the, to the interweb gun space. Unlike you, Russell, you probably, you might've seen something like this in one iteration or another, but I've never seen people in a time frame where there is so much progression in the gun community say things like outwardly, no, I don't believe gun rights are for everyone. And it's not people so much on the left. I, I've seen people on the left say it, say things, yeah. you know, as far as like at least one very high profile recent example. Yes. Um, more in the form of doxing, but, uh, but more so I see people, you know, with like cornfields in their profile pictures on Instagram saying <laughs> things like we shouldn't uh, be arming our enemies because they're going to use the guns against us. And that's, that's something that I've never seen brought up as an issue before, because up until now, I think it's, I, I mean, I've always just assumed that if you have a right to do something, it's, it's generally understood that people you disagree with have a right to do it as well. And, and I think that's, that's kind of what what you've thought this whole time also. And yeah, I mean, I, up until someone initiates violence against others, they absolutely have the right to own guns for defense of themselves, their family, and their community. And I mean, that's that's one of the underlying principles of my belief and value system is the non-aggression principle in that if you leave me alone, I'll leave you alone. And you absolutely have the right to respond to violence with violence, but initiating violence is always wrong. And until someone actually initiates violence, they have the right to own guns. They have, they have, the, they have all the same rights that I do, and they can talk and bluster and say whatever they're going to say. But until they actually do something, they have the right to own guns. That makes sense. You, you make it sound so simple. Well, I feel like it is simple, and I, I feel like people make it complicated. And what's you know? kind of absurd about the whole idea that you, is that you could even stop the other side of whatever spectrum you're on from <laughs> yeah. of, of obtaining firearms because we already acknowledge that criminals get guns no matter what. Firearms are so ubiquitous, so readily available, the technology is over 100 years old. Where there's a will, there's a way they're going to acquire them. So the idea that there's even some way possible to restrict your political or social opponents from acquiring firearms is inherently absurd and goes against all of our counter arguments to the futility of gun laws in general. Yeah, which is really ironic that we find ourselves having to field arguments like that when it's the same people that have been making that argument since the beginning, saying that these laws don't work and then calling for legislation against people who have quote unquote you know troublesome ideologies uh you know communists or 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 far right conservatives and things like that because it's on both ends but 
it's it's interesting that you have people in the gun community calling for things like that. And what's particularly interesting for me, um, I've been involved in this for a long time. I've been involved in gun rights since the late 90s. Uh, my first gun rights event was going to the Counter Million Mom March protest in Phoenix in 1999, uh, wow. following the, uh, the Columbine massacre and the big push for gun control that was occurring then. And I remember at that time and place through the early 2000s, there was a concerted effort by the gun rights community to be inclusive towards other groups, particularly uh, various minorities and underrepresented people, uh, because we wanted to dispel the image that the mainstream media was pushing that, that gun rights were only exercised by fat middle-aged white guys. <laughs> and at the messaging at the time from everyone I was involved with and the groups you know, that I was associating with was we wanted people to be involved in gun rights. And quite frankly, like some of these gun rights events that we, we held, there were factions across the political spectrum attending them because gun rights were seen as a universal thing. And, you know, flash forward 20 years, and it seems like now that that um, inclusivity is occurring in the gun community and the gun industry, there's a subset of people who are angry that it's happening. What do you think changed? Do you think that there was a, a catalyst in, in the last 20 years that changed that? Or do you think it's something that's gradually happened over time? Um, you know, quite frankly, hyper politicization since 2016. That, that's when it yeah. really started to change and, and more, even more so since 2020. Yeah, I I think the entire political landscape since then those two, those two major elections has has really kind of catapulted things into a a farther left and farther right um kind of kind of dichotomy that we have now, you know, for whatever room that we had for nuance 8 years ago, there's there seems to be far less room for it now and in a community as polarized as the gun community uh as it's always been it's it's always been a i would say more mainstream conservative community and now you have all these left leaning people come into it and unfortunately like everything the the reasonable voices end up getting drowned out um i i do think that that the like you said, the the hyper politicization of everything. It's it was just a matter of time before it trickled into the gun community, and and you have people virtue signaling now, for for their respective sides, uh, almost like like we saw recently. You know, you saying that you supported gun rights for everyone, and people felt the need to say. You know, well, what about X person? What about Y person? Yeah. <laughs> As if you saying you support gun rights for everyone is is like there's fine print, and that's that's something that I've found is that people look to put you in a in a corner so they know whether they're against you or with you. And yeah, I they don't gotta, remember they gotta it. find some sort of like definitive statement that's gonna tell them like you know okay this guy's you know gonna be my best friend or I'm gonna I'm gonna think about him dying. And here, yeah. here's an interesting thing I'll bring up is that I really believe that social media in its current state has accelerated that divide and limited yeah, intelligent conversation. Um, I interact with people in person regularly at shooting competitions. Um, 
the in-range events in particular attract a more diverse group of shooters than I've seen anywhere else. And when you interact with people in person and have real conversations with them, most people want the same basic things out of life. They want to take care of their family. They want to succeed in their job or their business. They want to enjoy their rights and freedoms. And where people really differ on that is just how do we get there? But if you have a conversation in person with people, it's much easier to find common ground, particularly when you're enjoying a commonly shared activity that you both enjoy. On the internet, it's just people screaming at each other and constantly being enraged by, um, you know, accelerationist language and trying to uh, push people into particular extremes. And the, the, the great irony to me is I am trending towards more center on the political compass than I ever have in my entire life. <laughs> yeah. uh, in a large part because I've had more real life interactions with people of differing ideas. So you can at least understand where people come from. Um, I personally deliberately listen to uh, news sources from all sides so I can at least understand where people are coming from. And I think that's something a lot of yeah. people are missing uh, in that we're, we're almost talking with completely different languages to each other where words have different meanings depending on who's saying it and in what context. There isn't like a universal yeah. way of discussing issues a lot of the time anymore. Yeah, that's so true. I, I, I've definitely gotten that sense. And, and people, people have said that a number of different ways. Like a lot, you, you hear a lot these days, like, oh, we're talking past each other, right? But I think that, I think that, that that's definitely closer to the truth to say that we're talking with different languages. You're like, you know, we don't mean the same things sometimes, um, you know, when these, when these two groups are, are kind of going at it. Or even if we're saying the same things, you know, it's, we have different, we, it seems to be that most people have ulterior motives when they're, when they're having conversation with somebody they disagree with yeah, and, and looking to find like a gotcha. And instead of just trying to understand the other side and uh, it's, it is, it is something that I really don't know. I mean, I think the, the situation that brought us all together here today uh, is a perfect example of that. You saying something as innocuous as I support gun rights for everybody and then just the absolute shitstorm that it turned into based like like from mostly people who, you know, I'm lucky enough not to have to interact with in the gun <laughs> community because I, I read some of the comments on that forum and I just somebody had reached out to me and said, man, these comments are making me nauseous. And I thought, ah, it can't be that bad. And there were people openly, you know, saying things uh, like about the Q nightclub shooting that were just blatantly homophobic, blatantly just, just terrible things that I would not say about another human or about a situation where innocent people died. And they were doing it to make a point and, and uh, about their own beliefs on, on who should own guns and who shouldn't own guns. And it's, what I see is a lot of uh, dehumanization of the opposition. Yes. Uh, regardless of what side yeah, exactly. you're on. I see a lot of, um, uh, you know, I think the term is otherization of people. Uh, if they don't fit into your check boxes of what a gun owner should be. And uh, it, it's kind of disturbing. Um, some of those threads were particularly disturbing to me because it went well beyond edgy jokes. I, you know, I 
I've been terminally online since 96 and I've always appreciated edgy jokes on some level, but there's a lot of things more recently I've found that it's not really jokes to a lot of people. They're serious. No, like yeah. the, the joke is the way to, to couch it in something that uh, gives them an out, but it's a true expression of their opinion. And uh, some of the stuff you're talking about that you, you read, it wasn't just jokes. It was true expressions of opinion that, are horrible representations of the gun community and they're doing exactly what the anti-gunners have always accused us of doing openly. And it's, it's not, a, it's yeah. not a good look for the gun community to celebrate yeah. in the deaths of innocent people, regardless of what faction they're from. Exactly. There's, and that's something that I, I just, I find it's it's really tough to understand because I've had conversations with these people. I'll give anybody the benefit of the doubt at first, and I'll give them a chance to explain themselves. And I've had conversations with people in my inbox to to my uh, chagrin, um, who I know I'm going to disagree with, but I just want to understand why they believe what they believe. And it it honestly many times seems like these people have such a fragmented and chaotic understanding or even the ability to, to get their own beliefs out uh, that it, it's so hard to have a, 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 an actual conversation with them because you don't feel like you're ever moving the ball anywhere. It's like it, these people are, are have learned their viewpoints in buzzwords and catchphrases. And if for everything that you say, they're they're like they're all like little mini Ben Shapiro's. And oh, yeah. I, they, they got something ready for every little. Yeah, every and little it's it's point. not an argument. It's not a conversation. It's it's a it's, it's a, a monkey it's a light it's switch. Like a... It's a shutdown immediately. And and there's no why. And it's if you ask why, then it's you don't you know do your own research or or you <laughs> you you obviously don't understand. And you know I I knew this was going to happen if I talked to you. You know this this things things that are just straw men arguments and and the the almost unwillingness and it is an unwillingness in many times to even want to have a conversation in the first place which i think just perpetuates mindsets like that well i, I think most um, people aren't introspective about their belief systems they don't analyze them for ideological consistency um analyzing what i believe yeah. and and my actions for ideological consistency is something i continuously do so if i believe in gun rights for myself that means those rights exist for other people. And if I'm going to say, well, no, these people who haven't done anything don't deserve these rights, I might as well turn in my guns tomorrow because the next election cycle is going to be my turn when, you know, the opposing team gets in power. Right, exactly. Well, and here's where it gets a little bit sticky, right? Because to some of these people... uh they're not accusing people who haven't, they're not saying that people who haven't done anything shouldn't own guns. They're saying like, for example, uh, groomers shouldn't have guns. Pedophiles shouldn't have guns. But the problem with that is that they're accusing people. They're like, there's this like ongoing conflation, right? And we've ragged about this on the show constantly. The conflation of the LGBTQ community with pedophiles and, and groomers, right? And so 
if you can if you can kind of convince yourself and you can convince others that like gay people are even just generally or by and large pedophiles then you can say like none of these people are innocent these people really haven't not done anything they've actually done a lot of harm. yeah and so, i mean so let's and, say and you can sort of justify un your beliefs unequivocally people who are actual pedophiles should be in prison and have they've lost right. their constitutional yeah. rights like that isn't even a conversation we need to have the problem is the conflation of language you know as you just said and as i said earlier it's it's used euphemistically to uh categorize an entire group of people who are not all that and dehumanize them so they are not deserving of rights so yeah actual pedophiles i think we all agree they're horrible people that should be locked up forever but the lgbt community is not inherently all pedophiles or even anything close to the majority of it being anything close to that but the words are used euphemistically to uh categorize them and 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 get people aligned against them um and you know it's 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 a similar tact we're seeing used there as um you know several years ago when everyone slightly right of center was a nazi and i think that oh, way yeah. it was toned down quite <laughs> yeah, a bit, i remember that um versus what it once was because it's important for words to have actual meaning and value and conflating them with lesser things makes the more serious thing you're trying to relate it to less serious like I, I despise authoritarianism in all forms, uh, you know, far right or far left. Like, I don't want to play with either of those things. But until they actually do something to deprive me of my rights, people who just happen to believe those things, as long as they're not physically hurting anyone else, they have rights just like I do until they actually do something to hurt someone else. And I, I agree with you 100%. The argument that I've seen from people who disagree is that when they do something, it's like dropping the frog in boiling water. But what they're doing right now is slowly bringing the water up to a boil while we, as the frog, we, I mean, the people that are making this argument, are heating up and slowly boiling to death without realizing it. So they justify their actions and beliefs as preventative like, oh, measures. They're building up to it. Yes. Or, and, they're, and that they're preventative measures. Is that... Clearly, these people have ill intent and want to kill us and want to strip us of our rights. So if we do it first, we're the good guys. And that's it's the, the mental gymnastics that you have to do to because it's only a couple degrees of separation between the person who they are looking at, who is a self-professed communist who says, you know, I yeah, I don't think people right of center should own guns. Uh, there's only a few degrees of separation between that person and somebody who just wants to exist, who doesn't subscribe to far right beliefs and or far left beliefs, and, but, but thinks, you know, healthcare should be accessible and who also owns a gun. And they, they lump these people together just by, you know, using the term leftist. Leftist has turned into a blanket word as, as an insult said by people on the right to describe liberals, communists, Marxists, Leninists, you know, liberals i mean i said that twice but you know there are multiple kinds of liberals. <laughs> double liberals double libs you know the, but, they, uh, but they do that they do that because doing that benefits uh the extremist position absolutely they, they want to force people into taking a side and i i think it's more important than ever for people who are uh closer to the center and 
believe in universal basic rights for everyone to speak up and say something about this because uh, without opposition, those ideas just perpetuate. I understand the reluctance of people to speak up and take principled positions that rights are for everyone because I took what I thought was a very, very basic milk toast center position that rights are for everyone. And I've gotten absolutely slammed for it over the past couple of weeks. And uh, yeah. what that does is it discourages other people from speaking up and saying, uh, you guys are nuts. Uh, we, sh we shouldn't categorize people this way and, and believe that rights are for everyone. It, it's, it's, it's really kind of been strange for me that just by asserting basic civil rights exist and that people shouldn't be killed for merely existing, I've had a number of people in the LGBT community reach out to me and thank me for being an ally. And that was never a conscious choice on my part. I'm just like, these are rights that belong to every American. And it feels weird to me that I have to say that, that, yeah, you have the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness and your basic uh, constitutionally enumerated rights until you hurt someone else. That should just go without saying. So it's kind of weird to me that like people have told me that I'm an ally for asserting their basic rights exist and they just shouldn't be killed. But I guess that kind of shows you how bad the state of things are for some people and, and the amount of uh, flack they catch just living their lives. Yeah. Yeah, yeah really. Though. It, it is. It's crazy that we've gotten to the state of, of being where where that is a. That's the standard. That is, that's for a line in the sand that you take. Yeah, <laughs> but that's that's the, that's the line in the sand that you draw. That that uh, rights are for everyone, and then you have the people who. It's not the people on the far right coming and saying thanks for sticking up for us. It's it's the people who clearly feel like their rights are under attack, who seem to identify with that statement because I. I I don't I don't I don't understand why it seems to be a mostly right wing just from i mean i'm taking the specific example that brought us here with the forum there were no people there was nobody on the left in that forum saying no 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 i i take his his uh his statement of saying that rights are for everyone as, as saying that he's a nazi because he, right. he thinks that nazis have rights instead of like the other way around there was nobody really saying that saying that uh that side of things, but we, you kind of get the sense that, uh, far right, specifically white Christian dudes, um, kind of feel like the default people, right? They kind of feel like, you know, like I'm the, I'm the regular person. So if you're saying the rights are for everyone, you know, you mean like, you know, like, of course rights are for me, but if you specify that rights are for everyone, you're specifying rights are for the people that like are irregular. Does that make sense? I, I can kind of understand what you're saying. And, and I think what you're talking about is the inherent bias um, majorities have in that if you're the majority and you experience life as the majority, anything right. uh, even giving um, acknowledgement to minority groups somehow feels like a, a slight or oppression. Right, right. Like you're losing ground somehow just because someone else is getting rights that you've enjoyed. Well, I mean, fundamentally, humans are kind of uh, hierarchical in, in their organization. And it seems like no matter what time in history or, or what particular group, everyone wants someone to punch down on 
and acknowledging that everyone's equal uh, in their rights uh, under a uh, form of government or under a uh, you know social contract or order uh, is inherently troubling to people who want someone underneath them to feel better about themselves. Yeah, that makes sense. That's frustrating, though. It is. Go ahead. No, I was, uh, it, it is, it's, I was just going to reiterate that, uh, sorry, I just had a brain fart. I was reading the notes and, uh, <laughs> when, when you said go ahead and I was like, oh man, I really didn't know. <laughs> I'm not ready. I really didn't Maybe have something to, to say there. It was just point, It's a good time to bring up. up, like at the company I work for as a sales marketing director, I've, I've kept our marketing deliberately apolitical over the seven years I've worked here. And part of my reasoning for that is, is like, I don't like when brand or corporation tells me their, their beliefs or ideology on something, or even as mundane as get out and vote. It feels contrite. It feels disingenuous. I don't think that's um, the type of messaging. And I think it turns people off. And by not actively virtue signaling right-wing ideology in my marketing and focusing on product uh, features, benefits, costs, and functionality, they've, inher- they've somehow interpreted my marketing as, as leftist just because I'm not actively virtue signaling in the other direction. <laughs> right. Which is the opposite of what you're trying to do. You're trying to be not leftist or far right, but because you're not like explicitly in their camp, you know, they're upset about it. Yeah. And, and my position's always been like in business, I want to sell as many goods and services as possible as possible. I don't want to turn people off to my product by telling them what or how to think as brand. So uh, that's why I've kept it apolitical. And I think that's resonated with a lot of people uh, who appreciate that we're not messaging those things. And and I I know that they do. I know that uh, 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 your 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 products come up a lot in uh, in leftist circles uh, specifically for that reason. Um, you know because of the because of the uh, the nature of your marketing and the and the and the price point. Um, you know these these are attractive products for for you know this this kind of like group of people. Well, and I but, think the I'm I'm sorry to cut you off, Andrew, but I think it's it's important to note that the marketing. Because it isn't intentionally political and because it doesn't come off as right wing is probably why people in left wing circles gravitate towards it. Because there is so much right wing content out there, people that you can clearly see are waving a certain flag that some people, you know, would rather not spend their money with. And can we should talk PSA. Is that okay with everyone? I don't know enough about them to be honest they just they just do a memorial um they do like uh like donald trump memorial guns and things like that you know like uh just or, or maybe we'll be just be general so, i, I, I mean here, here's what i can't just uh, we can always just bleep yeah, here, out the here, name here's what i can yeah. say is we, the protection of lawful commerce act was a very good thing for the farms industry that ended a lot of frivolous lawsuits right yeah What's happened recently, and I don't necessarily agree with this, I'm, I'm just saying this from a pragmatic point of view, is that companies are being held accountable for their marketing um, uh, and, yeah. and what marketing activities they do. I, I don't think saying our gun is used by the military, therefore it's good and durable, 
should be some sort of egregious marketing thing, but that's happened in a few court cases so far. Um, yeah. But companies should be aware that doing certain types of marketing and fear-based or, or partisan marketing is inherently risky at this point in opening themselves up for litigation should someone purchase their product and that marketing be a factor. And that's another reason why I've kept our marketing apolitical. Um, and a lot of my own ways I promote our content, promote our products is just through simply using them at organized shooting competitions. Yeah. Well, that's really all that's, people care about is is seeing that they right. work and seeing yeah, that they're right. that they're a good product. Well, that's and when people look for gun content online, they're they're not you know what they're looking for is just seeing it in action. Um, and sometimes I, I think when you trim away all of the, uh, the fluff from some of these other gun channels, I think that one of the reasons that content really resonates with, with people is because they're just, you know, they don't want to hear anything. They don't want to hear about what you think. They just kind of want, you know, they want to see the products. I want you to shut up and dance monkey. I don't yeah. want to hear about <laughs> yeah. your, your beliefs. That's, that's really the thing though, is like, if I Google, you know, top five plate carriers in 2023, because I know nothing about plate carriers and I want to know where to start. I don't care if, if the company of, of one of them and the reason you marked it as number one uh, donated X amount of thousands of dollars to the Trump campaign and that's why uh, that you should <laughs> yeah. support them or, or the Biden campaign for whatever, not that they would. But um, I just want to know which one's going to be durable, which one's going to be comfortable, and which one's going to suit my needs. And that goes the but, same, same for a rifle, same, same for rifle parts. But then at the same time, though, when you're looking for uh, armor plates and you find out that the guy who owns this company is like an actual Nazi oh, and talks about like, you know, the final solution. Like, yeah, oh, you might want to know stuff like that, though. Yeah. Yeah. Well, luckily for us, people like that make it known. Yeah. But no, but I think it just goes to to kind of illustrate the fraught landscape that people are marketing in right now where. Uh, you know, I think anyone who's, you who's know, deliberately turning away customers and they're they're deliberately marketing in a way to make sure certain people don't want to buy from them clearly has too much business. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I, you know, I, I took that stance early on with this business. So it's, it's interesting that I've never said, and I've actually said the contrary uh, on our page and our podcast multiple times. I've never said that only certain people should have gun rights. I've said oh, always that everyone should have gun rights. And I said that since the beginning, but the people that I more catered my, my content to because they represented such a smaller portion of the gun community was members of the LGBTQ community, was, you know, black gun owners, uh, women, women gun owners, female gun owners, femme gun owners. There's, that's, that was kind of where I was going with a lot of this stuff, but I never explicitly said like, that I was a leftist, that I was liberal or anything like that. But it just so happens that when you market inclusivity or oh, yeah. on the contrary, you don't market exclusivity by by preaching your politics. Uh, they just you get assume. a lot of leftists and left leaning people that show up. Mm-hmm. And I, I mean it's it's been really cool. I I I've made a ton of friends and I've learned a lot of things. And it just so happens that my politics line up with a lot of theirs. But I've I've never I've I've even said before in this podcast, I've never been able to figure out where I fall politically. I just know the things, don't be a dick to people, you know, help people when you can, things like that. And everybody should have guns and the right to speech. 
and and it just ends up being that way. The only product that I have specifically marketed for or against something, which even that you could argue it because it started out as a joke, is like the not a cop patch that I sell yeah. <laughs> that, that I <laughs> made as a cop. joke originally because it was it was just something I made it in the font and the size of the police patches on their plate carriers but it's so popular now it's super popular and i love it because it's being used by the people who i would who i would ideally want to see it on is people going to protests people going and and uh helping out with mutual aid stuff that have to wear a plate carrier and and it's just so happened to be that most of those people are left-leaning people um i've also had people who are cops say hey this is hilarious like i'm gonna buy one as a joke and that's cool too you know, yeah. Can I, you imagine if you were like, no, if I find out you're a cop, I'm canceling your fucking order. <laughs> it says not a cop, buddy. Yeah. But no, I, I totally agree with you that I, I think that when people are inherently marketing politically, that it's, it's clear that you're not in this to either you're making enough money and you have enough customers or you're not in it to make money. And, uh, you know, have, have other motives, which is totally fine in a free. And, and that's the thing is like, apparently to, uh, be appealing to uh, people on that side. All you have to do is just not be a dick. Don't actively be hostile towards them, and they and, and they <laughs> yeah. want to give you their business. Yeah. it's amazing that how this that guy works. doesn't make me feel like shit about myself. I'd like- yeah, I'm gonna go to his website. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is wild. Jordan, do you remember when you sold? Um, I think what was it? What was that little game with the space people that that? One of them was like an alien. Oh, um, one of among us. us. Among us. Yeah, you sold little uh, these little patches and stickers. That was uh, uh, you know, I it's a, a government those, kind of sus. Yeah, a government kind of sus. But and it was the gags. You the had flag. it. You had it in a variety of different flag colors for different like political ideologies. And yes, you got in. That. You got in like hot water early on because like a whole bunch of people from like different political like camps came onto your page and were like, you shouldn't sell that one. You shouldn't sell the yeah. black and red one. Those people are, are, are awful commies. You shouldn't sell the black and gold one. And comms are basically Nazis and cap. Yeah. Whatever. And yeah. yeah. Ancap. No, My yeah. Bad. My bad. Exactly. And I was like, all right, you know what? Fuck it. No one's getting these. I'm just selling the yellow ones. Yeah. But yeah, that was, it was <laughs> in the, in the effort to be inclusive there that, that did backfire yeah. a little bit, but that was only because people, people couldn't live and let live. Wild to me, but yeah, that that was a while ago. I stopped uh, being able to make those patches for copyright reasons, so I just stopped making the stickers. Also, which <laughs> makes sense because it wasn't you know the design was mine, but the character was not. Yeah, they they didn't come after me. It was my the the patch company that I make my patches through. It was like, hey, uh, I'm an old the guy. The guy was funny about it. He's like, I'm an old person, so I didn't know what this was, but somebody younger than me just told me that this is a video game character, and we can't print these anymore. Oh no! So I was like, all right, that's fair. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, so, yeah, it's it's clear that for some reason, one way or the other, not being an asshole attracts left-leaning people and, and center people. People that, like, that's Weird. the thing. It's, it's just people that don't want to be associated <laughs> with the far right yeah. uh, to your page, to your content, which is super cool because for the most part, everyone is chill and everybody is respectful. Um, really, the only time people get aggravated on my posts are when somebody comes out, there's like one page in particular, and I can't bring myself to block this dude because I hate doing that. So I hate blocking drama. People. No, I don't just like love drama. The drama. You love the drama. Oh, it's all for the engagement, baby. No. <laughs> yeah. But I, I, I've always had the, the stance that in, until somebody says something 
some kind of phobic or bigoted, all discourse is is allowed. Until somebody says something like if it's they're threatening problem. violence or bigoted, transphobic, homophobic, um, you can disagree and scream at each other all you want. I've gone ahead and deleted, this is the benefit of running your own page, I've gone ahead and deleted comments when I've just noticed that people are talking in circles and yelling at each other and it's getting more and more heated because I'm like, I'm just not going to deal with this when it does get to that point. But, um, You yeah, were making uh, a point. You were I was, about and this. I don't remember where I was you going. You were talking about this person that you can't, you can't bear to block. He comes yeah, on your page. He, he shows up on every single post I make that, even the ones that don't have anything to do with trans people, and he doesn't say things that are blatantly transphobic, but he pokes the bear in a way. He's like, that, I'm just asking that, questions. Yeah. Just posing concerns. One of, the, one of the things he says is, uh, like, I'm not transphobic. I just don't want people to be manipulated. And I'm like, that's a weird fucking thing to say. That's nobody. Yeah, for those who can't see what's going on, Andrew just put his <laughs> fingers in his mouth. To, that's to okay. You don't need to off. describe it. To uh, I just described it. That was just um, for you guys. <laughs> um. Yeah, but that's but anyway, the double speak, anyway. though, right? That's that's that like you know what we were talking about earlier, where it's like they say one thing but they mean another. Absolutely. I just don't want anyone manipulated. What he means is he doesn't want anyone exposed to the ideology that he finds dangerous. Well, he actually thought that the people that trans people were the ones being manipulated by the pharmaceutical companies and things like that. And oh, okay, I, that's I way like, weirder than I thought. It's Never way mind. weirder because it's like <laughs> how much, how much, how do you do you care about people this much when they're not trans? I don't. I feel like maybe not because I haven't seen you talk about take this stance with any other type of people that I bring up. Man, you but meet all kinds of people on the internet. I hate the internet. I love the internet, <laughs> but I fucking hate the internet. Um, which just really just says something about humanity in general, not not so much the internet. The internet's great; it's just a tool, like guns. Anyway, Russell, you've met a lot of different people doing uh, in range, right? Like you, you've been you've been you've been in and out with uh, oh God. I can't even remember all the people uh, that that Carl's had on there. The what is his name? Aten uh, I've never met Films? him myself. No, uh, I do encounter, yeah. like I said, a lot of different people at brutality matches. Um, and what has been interesting uh, to me is again, like it, like I said earlier, is when you interact with people in person, most people are pretty reasonable. Most people have closer to the same values than you would think. Uh, particularly uh, in a competitive environment like that, where there's an element of shared difficulty and, and suffering getting through the match, where people tend to want to help each other uh, and coach each other through these things. Um, and a lot of the stuff just doesn't matter that much. Um, and, and maybe one story I can share directly that was kind of opened my eyes a bit to like how much real hatred there is out there is... Um, cause I have access to the back end of the, of, you know, the pages in case Carl just drops dead one day, I can at least post his obituary. Um, <laughs> but oh, he had, he had a tactical girlfriend on for an episode about desert brutality. All they talked about was the match and the equipment used. They didn't talk about politics. They didn't talk about, uh, gender or any sort of issues like that. Just about the match. And the amount of vitriol and hatred and even death threats I saw coming in on the back end was kind of an eye opener that like people were really just that angry that a particular person appeared on the channel. And then I got backlash from some people for using uh, her as her pronoun in conversation. Because oh, God. apparently I'm supposed to just be openly hostile to people 
that are wanting to help us promote our event, right? For people who care so little about pronouns, they sure care an awful right. fucking lot about pronouns. That's exactly what I was going to say. Is they, they, <laughs> they get mad when they see pronouns in your bio, but then when you use whatever you want to use, they have a problem so, with that too. To me, this is really just a, a matter of just basic uh, respect in business. If someone presents themselves as something to me, I will refer to them as that. Mr., Miss, Mrs., uh, her, him, whatever. Uh, again, I'm in business to do business with as many people as possible, and referring to people the way they prefer to be referred to is not some great slight to me. Uh, and and I don't understand how people who want to make an issue out of that kind of thing even get through their day-to-day lives in interacting in normal business um, situations anymore. Maybe those are the people who are getting sent to HR every week. I don't know. But, but like, why yeah. would I be hostile to someone and disrespect them? when they're at our event, having a good time and helping us promote these events for, you know, future years to come. Right. That is the, uh, the great question really. Uh, and why, why would people expect you to be? Well, because everything's, everything's political, man, because you know, everything that you do and everything that you say, uh, if it's recorded and posted on the internet, they interpret that as a specific political stance that you're making. Yeah. You know, it's fucking shitty. It's super lame. And <laughs> you, I for you, remember, one... you remember when we had a parole officer on the show uh, to talk about, you know, like ne- neither of us are particularly pro cop, uh, but we, we have a friend who's a parole officer. We had her on the show um, and we had people come on here and be like, you know, you fucking bootlickers. You talk to cops. Yeah. Our only one star review on Apple podcasts is still from this guy who just could not stand the fact that we had somebody in it's not even law enforcement because she's not enforcing the law. She's, <laughs> she's on the back end when somebody gets yeah. out of prison. I don't know, but it's we just like, wanted to know, like, it's like we bear, had, we, we had her specifically cop. to talk about the problems in policing, the problems in the correction system and like her, her point of view as to how we could fix those going forward. And it was, fuck you. You had a cop on you fucking pieces of shit. You fucking and class traitors. That's, yeah, and it, it well, and and there's this flawed idea that somehow I'm responsible for all the beliefs and ideology of any person I have a conversation with publicly. Yeah. Right? That, that's that's just nonsense to me. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, open public discourse with people of different ideas and different ideologies and belief systems is necessary to maintaining a republic or democratic form of government. Like we want to be able to have conversations with each other to build consensus and common ground and solve issues in a way that is at least acceptable to most people across the spectrum, right? And if you don't even want to have those conversations, yeah. that, that can't happen anymore. Like, No, and, and you've, you have to talk to people who disagree with you, and you have to talk I, to people I will who tell you guys like you. I argue with Carl about politics privately all the time. Like, he and I have, have different views on the world and uh, we, we often uh, make each other see uh, different perspectives on things that uh, we wouldn't have otherwise. Because, you know, I've known him for almost 20 years. Uh, he is a sane and rational person in, in personal life as opposed to what people think about him on the Internet. He recognizes me as a sane and rational person. So we can have a conversation about different ideas without screaming at each other, right? 
But but I run into this constantly where people will hold me responsible for things Carl has said on his channel. Conversely, Carl has run into things where people have held uh, him accountable for things I've said on my channel, too, which is just really weird. Um, or different people. Yeah, it's like y'all aren't allowed to be friends unless you right. completely it's, it's, agree it's with a, each other. It's a really weird concept. And I had to explain to uh, one of the guys at the range, I'm like, listen, you get mad at, like, say, Tucker Carlson on Fox News if some other anchor on Fox News says something you don't like. Well, no. I'm like, then why are you mad at me for something that Carl said? Or you just didn't like the way he said it? And they're like, huh, maybe, maybe I should think about that. <sighs> and and that, that's, that's another thing I, I really wish people would um, stop trying to uh, put everyone into categories of alignment and, and holding people responsible for what someone else says. I mean, obviously, there's, there's certain times where someone's so horrible and irredeemable that, like, you can't have a conversation with them, right? And you don't want to, quote, yeah, platform sure. them. But uh, most of um, the middle can all have conversations with each other. And I think we were talking about this offline, but, you know, before we started this, like, I can have a conversation with anyone below the authoritarian access on the political compass. Because um, I think yes. a lot of us just want the same thing. It's just how we approach it and what what priorities we have in that uh, libertarian philosophy, right? What what are we making the most important thing under that, you know, individual liberty aspect of things? Uh, people that are venturing up above the authoritarian access are very uh, difficult to have conversations with because they are not going to be yeah. nearly as open to uh, even considering other ideas as a possibility uh, or, or in any way being legitimate. Well, because you have them, their their beliefs are bordering and, and crossing the line of justifying the state or, or agents of the state from restricting your rights to enact policies. And that's something that if you're below the authoritarian line, disagree with, that your problems need to be worked out amongst people and not have the state involved, at least to a certain, you know, if you believe in law and order, I hate using that term, but like if you think we, we shouldn't have an anarchist society, then, uh, you know, you, you, there, are, there have to be some laws. But as far as we're concerned, thanks to the Constitution and the Bill of Rights, um, arguably, the laws do not interfere with our rights, and when they do, they're challenged and repealed, supposedly. But that—that's what how it's supposed to work. Um. So yeah, no, I I, I agree with you, and that's what I talk about. With we, we bring this up constantly about people that are that are gun control advocates. That we we agree on the core principles of what we're trying to do here. We want to save lives, and we want to protect people, and we just have different ways of getting there. And and as long as you don't think that 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 the government needs to be sent after me to accomplish that or or sent after people to accomplish that then we could agree on a lot more things but unfortunately a lot of these groups these bloomberg groups are uh you know just blue-collared statists unfortunately well, they they almost revel so in they, the idea of using the that. power of the state to enforce their political will against others right yeah. you've seen i've seen those tweets and yeah. posts from people in those anti-gun factions where they long for the day where the power of the state will be used to seize our personal property in a way that would probably result in bloodshed, right? 
And I mean, that's, right. that's, that is as unhealthy uh, from a freedom perspective as people saying, well, my gun rights exist, but other people's rights don't exist because they don't agree with them. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. It is. And you, exactly. Can you imagine the fucking, the state of mind to be like, yes, there's going to be violence. But it's necessary but it'll be worth it in the long to run. stop the violence. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that is, I, I mean, I think a lot of these people are delusional in the sense that they, they just think that we are identical to Australia. If we could only pass the same laws as them, people would just turn their guns in and crime would stop. Which oh, crime didn't did you, stop in Australia, no, I mean, gun wait, crime wait, went down. Uh, America is, did you is see oppositional the... defiance the country, right? Like, it's, it's baked into our culture. Yes. I mean, I, I, I jokingly refer to how oppositional defiant I am. If you want to get me to do something, tell me to do the opposite. Because if you're telling me I have to do something, I'm going to ask every reason why um, I shouldn't. And it's going to turn me off to it. And that's, that's, that's America as a culture to a, a large degree, too. So just, just passing laws <laughs> yeah, w- wouldn't, wouldn't solve that problem. I mean, uh, I, I'm a Second Amendment absolutist. and I think that a lot of these people on the anti-gun side are, are wishing for a world that could never happen. Firearms are so ubiquitous, so many hundreds of millions in circulation, that any attempt to control them will only result in the criminal class, who, however you define that, having them, and make it harder for honest, law-abiding people to get them to defend themselves. And uh, one of my friends said this years ago, and I really like this statement. You might want to turn it into a patch. Freedom is inherently dangerous. Plan accordingly. Meaning, I'm responsible for my own safety, right? I can defend myself better than the state can. Ultimately, I'm my own first responder. Be that uh, in self-defense or medical or whatever, right? And trying to approach these problems from any other perspective of the government has to solve it. The government has to exercise its authority to solve these problems will not result in the problem actually being solved. And I, and I transfer the same uh, ideology over to like, people are concerned about what their kids are losing are learning in schools are concerned about what entertainment their kids are being exposed to. Well, the right answer is be a parent, be involved in your kids' schools they don't like what you're you're they're teaching at the school consider a different school homeschool charter school private school uh but ultimately you can't rely on the state to solve your problems you have to be the one solving your problems and i kind of feel like that's something i take issue with across the political spectrum with people is like they they're like the government has to do something about this we have to pass a law well what do you have power over yourself in your own life to affect the change you want. And more, more people have more power than they would uh, really even consider if they actually thought about it. And like I said, self-defense, like you're the one who's going to be able to defend yourself better than anyone else. There's no law that's going to stop a mass murder. Absolutely. It's, it's up to you to be your own first responder in that situation. And that's that's the the constant flaw I see in people's logic is just looking for the state response to things that ultimately how you live your life and and how you uh, guide your own family or your own children 
is going to matter a lot more than any law ever passed. But I, I do, I do think that that maybe that's a frightening idea for some people that just aren't used to taking personal responsibility. Oh, absolutely, like absolutely. Being being responsible for yourself is a huge burden that most people really don't want to consider. Yeah, and I, I and I think that that's a, a very large part of it. Um, I don't think that there's there's I don't think that there's like a a just a huge army of people out there that just hate individual individuality and just, you know, just like hate the idea that people have rights. I think that a lot of people are just scared. I think a lot of people are just scared to take care of themselves and it scares them to see people, uh, you know, maybe I'm just projecting or something. Well, a lot know. of it is convenience too. Uh, if, if you yeah, know that true. the state is going to be there to develop a curriculum for your kid and teach that to your kid, then you know that you don't have to take their responsibility to do that. And th and that's not yeah. necessarily a, a good thing or a bad thing. It's really just a preference. It, it's it's why people homeschool their kids or take their kids out of public school and put them in private school where they agree more with the curriculum. Yeah. It's you're you're you could only do so much as a parent. You can only do so much as a citizen. You can only do so much, you know, as as somebody who takes the ch chance of going out on the road and driving to work in the morning because uh you know, every, if everything was left up to us as individuals, things would fall through the cracks. So we, we think that it's, we, we come to this understanding that it is convenient to allow the state to handle certain services and do certain things for us, like almost like favors, you know, that we pay them to do. Um, well, but you know, the, the, the point that I was driving at, you know, and, and it could definitely be that, but either way, it, it's, it's kind of just that I, I think maybe a lot of these authoritarians are not necessarily vicious people who want who want to see us dead for for trying to have rights. I think they're they're just for whatever reason they're just not prepared to to you know to take that responsibility. And I think that that's a distinct kind of person from the people that we've been talking about who are you know like the terminally online angry death threat people. Yeah. Well, and, and absolutely. You know, again, the I, the I right so. answer to if there is not a community that. Uh, you like or the community that you're in isn't going the way you want it to go the right answer is to build the community you want with like-minded people right Net network uh, network yeah. and and build we relationships build friendships with people and uh I, again that's the that's the correct solution to a lot of this like the the guy that's online angry screaming about stuff did he even ever go to a city council meeting did he ever go uh, use the right to speak system at the state legislature about the issues he's concerned about. Did they even ever send an email to their their uh, city councilman or their their house representative at the state level? They probably never have, but they'll sure let everyone on the internet know what they think about stuff and scream at people that disagree with them because that'll show them. Yeah, it's that's funny that you say that because uh, Carl, both Carl and Tactical Girlfriend, when we talked to them, they 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 said kind of the same thing in so many words. The the idea of like building a new uh, gun culture um, that's like you know more inclusive and, and forward thinking. Yeah, I, I mean, I think networking at your local level or online is important. I mean, I can't tell you how many different times I've I've solved some sort of business or personal problem by just knowing someone through the shooting community that deals with that sort of thing. 
Um, you know, uh, a guy I shot with was a doctor of physical therapy. When I needed my leg worked on, I went to him for it. Another guy I shoot with is a lawyer. If I needed the advice on a particular thing in his field, or at least to find who the right type of lawyer to go to, is I can talk to him about it. Uh, need some graphic design work done. There's somebody from the, the shooting community there that has those skills, right? Uh, woodworking, metal fabrication. Like there's always people in these spaces that have different skills and you can always work together to accomplish different things and, and, build, and build that networking community to, to do something more than you could by yourself. There's two discoveries there, right? One, gun owners are multifaceted people that are not solely defined uh, by being gun owners and shooting guns. And two, being nice to people from different walks of life and making friends with them can really help you out when you need something like that. Oh, absolutely. Uh, that is something Imagine I wish that. I understood much earlier in my career was how important the human networking aspect of things was to actually accomplishing anything. Yeah. Yeah. I that, get that. You can't have you you know, you can't have the personal connections that you need to achieve the results you want by existing perpetually online. And talking to people and and I just mean, you know, in a faceless sense. Talking to people with with your voice, with actions, you know, showing people that you're that you're talking to people with actions i'm not talking about interpretive <laughs> dance um no i'm saying you're just saying that because that's what you do talk to people talk to people with your voice and your face on the internet Shut up. <laughs> that's what you got to do guys just Use whatever your face i do your voice um <laughs> so, i'm know, so sorry you were making no, a it, point it's okay i i i uh i do think that is such Circling back to what we were talking about before, I think that is a large reason why we are in the position that we are in right now is because we have so much less of that. And something that I've, I've heard for years and I, I parrot as much as I can is when you think that you have nothing in common with anyone around you, go outside and talk to your neighbor. Or when you, when you think that, you know, you you can't find anybody else that agrees with you or, or everyone's crazy. Go, just go the fuck outside, go touch grass talk to people like talk to people in your circle that you wouldn't normally yeah. talk to about things like this. I can't tell you the amount of times that I've brought up a topic at work and granted I don't work in a corporate environment so I can I somebody put a, a vinyl sticker of a dick on my on my locker the other day at work like that kind of stuff happens so we can have normal conversations about politics and religion and that's not nobody usually bats an eye but I can't tell you the amount of times that I've had conversations with people about things that I would have never thought they believed or I, w I would have never thought they took a position on and was surprised sometimes pleasantly sometimes not so much but you you get to build connections <laughs> sometimes you'd rather not know sometimes i wish i wish we didn't talk about that um the amount of people that i found out were like q people q and on believers oh, through just through conversations q? with them was <laughs> so disappointing but uh what I'm, what i'm trying to say is we need that we need to have that human interaction and and I, I think uh, a lot of this just shows how badly we need it, really. Yeah. <clears throat> well, you know, and, and I think, you know, people talk a lot about, like, OPSEC on the Internet, right? And I understand why vulnerable people or people who are kind of, like, skirting, you know, close to the line of the law want to have OPSEC on the Internet. 
Um, but man, I, I, I know a lot of people I've interacted with. I sh- shouldn't say I know a lot of people cause I don't know them. I've interacted with a lot of people with like fucking anime or cartoon profile pictures and, you know, some clever nickname and, you know, I, you'll never know anything about them. And, and all of those interactions are superficial. Uh, and I, you know, I'm not saying my way is better. Uh, obviously there's a danger to putting your real name on your profile and like pictures of your house and your yard. Um, I'll never, I'll never judge anybody for not doing that, but I just feel like sometimes it, it helps connect with people when, when, you know, people see like, Oh, that's a real person you're talking to. So I think you can have real interactions on social media. Um, I think you can make real lifelong friends, Jordan. But you know, hey. <laughs> but yeah, I, I think that there's there's this Russell. there's this sense of of danger that people have, and the, and they want to like obfuscate their themselves and their and their life and their yeah. identity, and they want to make their presence just their most extreme opinions. Well, and I think there's also a lot of people who just get enjoyment off of screwing with people too. Uh, I, yeah, I, was, I was laughing inside <laughs> yeah. when you brought we have the anime avatar yeah. thing because. I don't have a good track record of people with anime avatars. No, nobody does. <laughs> no. So yeah, I no. have a theory that they're all feds. That would that could be true. So everyone, it's just a psyop. Can never confirm. Nobody really does that. Deny. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's no such thing as trans people. They're all feds. They're all. <laughs> Every one of them is a fed. <laughs> no, we don't really believe that. That's not the. No, of course. <laughs> we don't have to put the 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 slash s after that comment. Yeah, that was a, <laughs> I think people probably know that perpetual we internet. Yeah. yeah. Anyway. Hey there, everybody. We hope you're enjoying the episode. If you do like what we're about and want to support us, our Patreon is a fantastic way to do so. It allows us to improve the podcast in many ways and helps fund our alcoholic coffee beverage stash to assist on those late night recording sessions. Now you may be thinking, this podcast has me absolutely smitten and I would love nothing more than to throw money at you, but what's in it for me? Well, I'm glad you asked. When you become a patron, you automatically get access to an exclusive collection of clips from the podcast not heard anywhere else. On top of that, we have a wide range of tiers available that will get you merch, discount codes, and even free gear delivered to you monthly. For any patrons currently listening to this, we are super thankful for your support and for keeping the dream alive that one day I will be able to meet Andrew and make sweet, sweet podcast magic with him in person. You can find our Patreon at patreon.com slash a better way to a in the episode notes for the podcast or on the link in our Instagram bio. All right, now that's all for that. Back to the show. So best transition of the night right here. Uh, can we talk about the lawsuit that you have going on right now with KE Arms? And yeah, we can talk G-Rex? about that. Um, I mean, I think that could bit? probably be a whole podcast in and of itself. Probably. We've, <laughs> we've been here for a while. I didn't know how deep you wanted to go into it, but it's, well, it's been I wanna, something. I want to talk about it because it's it's also, you know, I, I don't want to be, I don't want to be conspiratorial. I don't want to be paranoid. Um, but it seems strange that, at a pivotal point in this lawsuit um, where both sides have a lot to lose, uh, you are suddenly embroiled in a very public controversy on the internet, uh, right. mostly driven so, by I mean, anonymous I guess people. I can try to give the bullet points history on this thing so that people at least have some background about what's going on. In, in the late 1960s, Colt developed the first monolithic polymer receiver um, for the M16. Monolithic meaning that it had an integrated 
pistol grip, an integrated buttstock, and an integrated buffer tube. It was formed in two halves and bonded together. Uh, later, in 2000, a man named Sean Nealon, who had uh, served in the uh, U.S. Army uh, in a uh, cavalry unit, uh, developed a polymer receiver called the CAV-15. Based upon his experience being an armorer in the Army and his parents having an injection molding shop that he worked at as well. Uh, around 2001, I started working for Sean at Cavalry Arms Corporation. Uh, in uh, 2003, the CAV-15 Mark II was introduced. Both the CAV-15 and the CAV-15 Mark II used an integrated pistol grip, integrated uh, trigger guard, integrated buttstock and buffer tube. They were molded into halves and bonded together uh, with the CAV-15 original being sonic welding and then the CAV-15 Mark II being linear vibration welding, which was a same process used by the Steyr AUG to form its um, buttstock, pistol grip, trigger guard assembly. Um, so uh, fast forward to 2008, CAV Arms has trouble with the ATF. 2010, uh, Nealon takes a plea agreement with the ATF, which results in a felony conviction for him and having to surrender his FFL. Uh, at that point, I had uh, moved up to being uh, VP of the company. I was a shareholder. I traded in my stock uh, for the CAV-15 uh, mold and other uh, equipment. The ATF gave me the runaround because of my previous association with CAV Arms. Uh, about getting my own license in 2010, and I eventually gave up on trying to get my own license. Um, it was somewhat made clear to me that if I pursue this, uh, I will have problems, and it just wasn't worth pursuing at the time. Um, you know, they were essentially kind of angry that all they got out of that multi-year investigation was Neil and having a three-year probation sentence and a $10,000 fine. So I gave up on the application at that time, and about a year later, uh, after trying to find a buyer for the equipment, I sold the CAV-15 Mark II mold and some other related manufacturing equipment to a company called G-Wax Armory out of Tulsa, Oklahoma. Their business was a gunshot location detect detection system, and they had started this sub-company or separate entity, GWAX Armory, because they needed guns to be able to test their gunshot location systems. And they viewed uh, having the CAV-15 as a, you know, a, a neat financial opportunity, because quite frankly, I sold all the assets for about 30% uh, of what they were worth. I was under a time crunch to get them gone. I had wasted a bunch of money pursuing getting my own business up and going at that time. So I just needed to get what I could out of it and, and move on with life. Uh, nonetheless, because I believed in the product line and I knew there was a lot of potential for developing it, I continued to try to help GWAX uh, improve the product and promote the product and was an independent sales rep for them for a time before I went to work for KE Arms in 2015. And uh, throughout my early years at KE Arms 2015 through uh, 2018, um, we attempted to work with them on multiple occasions to either do a mass-produced lightweight rifle, uh, help them repair their tooling, etc. They never went for any of it. 
Concurrently in 2017, Carl Casarda, who I've been friends with since 2006, and has now started this channel in range uh, with Ian of Forgotten Weapons, launches this What Would Stoner Do Project 2017. And Carl's familiarity with the KF-15 receiver from having shot with me for all those years and having actually attended some of our open house events at Cav Arms and build parties, etc., uh, was familiar with the receiver. And because the concept of this program was, what would Stoner do to produce a modern rifle uh, with the same design methodology uh, as he had in the fit in the late 50s, early 60s, uh, using today's technology. So the monolithic polymer receiver made a lot of sense from a weight savings perspective, a speed of production perspective, um, and um, you know just had some neat features. So the CAV-15 being produced by GWAX that time was selected for the program, and they sold out. They apparently hadn't made any for several years, and their inventory went out the door. And that's when, uh, at KE Arms, we started actively talking with them more about, like, we can help you repair your tooling, some of the issues we have, we can fix and post-processing, uh, that kind of stuff. They said no, they weren't interested. So in late uh, 2018, uh, with this, what had been a thought exercise and a do-it-yourself project being turned into a potential commercial project by Brownells, um, with Brownells wanting to source all the parts and sell it as a complete gun, uh, and you know, every like in range KE arms because we offered we were making the trigger for the what would Stoner do? It was our Searling technology trigger. We were making the selector and we were making the mag catch and some other other potential parts for these things um we're all trying to communicate with gwax to move forward with this project and they went dark in late 2018 they stopped responding to everyone just yeah in january of 2019 they posted that they had to vacate their building and in may of 2019 they uh, their corporation or LLC was listed as terminated by the Oklahoma Secretary of State. So at that point, we started looking at how do we get this done? How do we move the What Was Stoner Do project forward? And I have to be clear here, the CAV-15 was never intellectually protected. There was no patents. There was no um, nothing protecting the design. Uh, Neilan, the original designer of the CAV-15, in fact, even said that he would not seek out patenting it because it was such a, a combination of things that already existed. He knew about the Colt, he knew about the AUG, he knew about professional ordnance and all these other things that, you know, there's nothing new under the sun in the gun industry, right? It's all just combinations of things that have already existed for 100 to 150 years. So uh, coordinating uh, with Brownells, they say, well, if you can do this, we'll issue a purchase order. So we started developing our own monolithic polymer receiver at this point. And uh, some of that was using my knowledge and experience from having uh, worked on the CAV-15 and working at CAV Arms and, and knowing things about injection molding. But a lot of it on my end was knowing what not to do, knowing what all the problems were and where things could go wrong. And uh, the only reason we waited for GWAX to be out of business is because with a niche product like this, if somebody already has a mold that's already paid for, 
you'll never recover your tooling cost if you go head to head with them. They can sell the receiver for $5 above cost and you'll never recover your tooling cost on your own new mold. So that's why we, we wanted to make sure there was absolutely no chance that there was any uh, ability to uh, repair and get their mold operational before we started uh, because that was the fastest way to get the market working with them. And uh, we didn't want to compete head to head with them uh, if there was another mold that was operational. But they disappeared. In fact, they even announced to the world their mold was worn out um, as part of this whole you know, gradual shutdown thing they did publicly. And people started saying, you know, we can't get a hold of these guys. My, my, I have a problem. You, can you help me? Et cetera. People were reaching out to me personally because they knew about my personal history with the Cab 15. So all these things are happening between, you know, late 2018 and, you know, mid 2019. And, you know, uh, we come to an agreement with Brownells. They're going to issue a PO for us to move forward with um, the What Would Stoner Do project. We put together an investor group to finance a new mold. And we started from scratch working from our billet flared magwell receiver and incorporating a pistol grip, a, um, a buttstock assembly and a buffer tube onto it. It already had an integrated trigger guard. So we announced publicly in November of 2019. We announced further publicly in January at, of 2020 at SHOT Show. In April of 2020, GWAX resurfaces sending a demand letter. And you can't just get any attorney to deal with an intellectual property issue like this. You have to find a specific attorney to handle it. So while we were trying to find an attorney that specialized in this sort of thing, they then sent a demand letter again and included Brownells on it, interfering with our relationship with Brownells. So it's clear this is going to go to litigation. So we, and there's a principle of who files first gets jurisdiction, generally speaking. So we filed first for them interfering with our business relationship with Brownells, which derailed a lot of our marketing efforts hampered sales and you know it 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 damaged the the whole program in ways that are um you know we we hired a financial damages expert to calculate but uh you know there's there's a whole lot of damage done here that is incalculable and lost opportunity so the first yeah, 3 months imagine. we negotiate back and forth with their attorney who's an actual IP expert and after our attorneys address all of his concerns and questions, we're told they're going to move to settle and we'll have an offer soon. Because all we wanted as, as KE Arms was to uh, agree that both parties could be in the marketplace and just go our separate ways. Well, then in July of 2020, they came back and they sued KE Arms. They sued me personally. They sued my LLC, Sinistral Shooting Technologies. They sued Brownells, and they sued Sean Nealon, the inventor of the Cap 15. <laughs> That's what gets me about the whole thing, too. And, they went and all part the way of the back reason the they, they decided guy. to sue Sean was in 2016, K Arms had bought Sean's library of blueprints for everything he'd ever worked on in the gun industry. At that time in 2016, I provided those blueprints to them uh, and said, here's some of the stuff that I never had. It might help you repair your mold. And they thanked me for it. 
They never sent a cease and desist. They never uh, told me that I shouldn't have had those those prints from Neil and et cetera. They, but four years later, they decide that somehow my sales agreement of the assets to them somehow bound Neilan from not having prints that he'd possessed his whole life. And them dragging him into the case actually ruined his uh, uh, pardon attempt with President Trump. He was trying to get pardoned for his earlier uh, ATF conviction and having this ongoing civil action put him to the back of the line. So wow. it'll probably be some time before he can he can try to appeal to have his civil rights restored again. So initially, they claimed uh, trademark, copyright, trade dress violations, trade secret violations, NDA violations, etc. And the first year of this was really just jurisdictional issues and fighting back and forth. And it's finally decided somehow uh, this ends up back in Oklahoma where they're based for the, for the, the case is going to move forward there. And then we start going through the discovery phase and a good portion into the discovery phase, they voluntarily dismiss a bunch of their claims because their claims don't meet the standard of law. Um, and I don't want to get into the specifics of that because it's a whole different tangent um, there's other people who've covered this stuff in detail, but they're left with basically NDA and trade secret violations going forward. And a lot of the stuff they're claiming as trade secrets is stuff that was already in the public sphere one way or another. It was already known. And there's been this whole thing with them to try to treat the NDA I signed that was already expired by the time this uh, the KP-15 program moved forward as a non-compete. I never signed a non-compete. Even if I had signed a non-compete, they are only valid for two to three years. But I never signed a non-compete. And the NDA I signed specifically exempted knowledge already known, knowledge gained from third parties, or knowledge in the public sphere. But nonetheless, the case keeps moving forward. So where we're at currently with this is we have motions for summary judgment filed, which the judge can rule on motions for summary judgment as a matter of law. Like the, these claims don't meet the standard of law for the, the claim that you are citing. Uh, and we also have a motion uh, uh, pending for what's called spoliation sanctions. So what we found out after we went public with this case is GWAX was sending out information and data, including like unwelded pictures of unwelded halves with rulers next to them, saying that what the material spec was, all these sorts of things they claiming were trade secrets that, by the way, had already been disclosed by Cav Arms 15 to 20 years earlier, but you know, they were claiming were trade secrets today. And they're just sending them out to anyone who asks. And they didn't disclose those emails to us under discovery. So um, our attorneys put together a motion for spoliation sanctions, which means basically like, uh, to my understanding, is essentially we were damaged by not having that evidence earlier in the process. And we were, we were potentially prejudiced at trial yeah. uh, by not having that evidence earlier. So that's also something that's waiting to be ruled on. 
Um, another interesting thing that, that happened through the course of discovery was the deposition of one of their major investors, Reed Oppenheimer, who's like a multimillionaire Tulsa uh, businessman. And he's on record saying he would fund the lawsuit, but he will not fund new tooling and development for GWAX. Uh, he, in fact, doesn't want to sell AR-15s to the public. And I'd have to review the deposition transcript directly again to get the direct quotes. But essentially, it seems as if, and my interpretation is, that he is against civilian sales of AR-15s at this point. This dude. So, um. I think, Which is yeah, kind of strange it's, it's for an investor in a gun company. Issues, right? So it would appear to me to be that GWAX is the type of company who wants to sell gunshot systems, detection systems to foreign governments, police agencies, etc. And they'd be perfectly happy having a government contract for 100,000 rifles. But their current investor doesn't want to sell commercially. And whatever guns they did sell commercially, uh, you know, in my opinion, were likely sold just to get their production jump started, gain experience making them and recover some investments. But they probably reached the limit of what he was willing to sell publicly. And that's more likely why they shut down and stopped responding to everyone. None None of the things they've done are the actions of a company who actually wants to stay in business and be engaged in the firearms industry. Which would make it strange then that their uh, the the basis of their lawsuit is that you ruined their opportunity. Yeah, because they sell already guns. weren't selling them for some time. They 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 claim they claim that they were, and there's also yeah. tangential issues like their FFL expiring for months, um, you know, and, and other other data points like that that uh, really make me wonder about things going on behind the scenes there. Just doesn't well, seem it's like either a not company. a serious company yeah. or it is uh, being used for alternative purposes. Hmm. What, do you, what, do you, what do you mean by that? Uh, again, I don't want to say too much about this, but if you look into the financial history sure, of their sure, company, sure. Uh, you'll find things like uh, a $5 million grant from the Marine Corps in 2009 and then a few years later, loans they defaulted on. Huh. I'm not smart enough to figure that out on the fly, but uh, let's see, see if I can look into it later. But um, yeah, for for your part then. Um, so KE yeah, Arms has uh, pretty regularly run like coupon codes and sales, and has been pretty adamant about funding the legal defense with only with sales and and not accepting donations from the, from the public, who have been very supportive, by the way. The, uh, especially the in-range community, but uh, all of your customers, uh, it seems like, you know, any that are that are actually still generally knowledgeable about the culture of the company have been very supportive. I've seen a lot of people saying, you know, I want to donate, you know, what I can to this legal fund. And I, I've seen you time and time again say, you know, we're not taking donations. Please buy the product from KE Arms uh, and that money will go to the legal defense. Is that a moral stance or, or is there a practical reason? It, it's it's a couple things. So one, from a practical perspective, yes, I believe there's Second Amendment overtones to this whole case. Um, you can you can think of reasons why an anti-gun uh, millionaire might not want 
a product on the market, the receiver can be produced every 65 seconds. Like if there's a if there's a ban coming, we can make a receiver every 65 seconds with this technology. Um, so there's some Second Amendment overtones to this, but it is ultimately a business commercial dispute um, with some Second Amendment overtones to it. And I don't want people to feel cheated or lied to or deceived if we lose yeah, or if we have to take a settlement as a straight up business decision. And that's the problem with lawsuits from a business perspective is that the only people who really win in these situations are the lawyers. Like we're $700,000 into this lawsuit. Um, we had to go public with it for support because we're fight we're up against someone who has uh, essentially unlimited resources. They don't care how much money they're spending on the lawsuit where for us, this is all money coming out of, uh, you know, our operating uh, budget. We have not been able to pursue new products. We have not been able to hire more people. Um, KE Arms is a shadow of its former self versus three years ago because this lawsuit has bled us so significantly. And we've typically been able to ride the waves of massive sales during spikes like 2020 to 2021 and then uh, hibernate and, you know, do limited retail sales during those downtimes, then ramp up again when things get busy again, which is the nature of this industry. But essentially now we're just burning inventory to, you know, funnel it into the furnace that is the attorneys. And we've taken actions to preserve our attorneys' fees and costs uh, related to this, but even if we win, uh, we may not get uh, paid out. It could be another two to three year legal battle to get paid. Um, as strictly a business decision, again, nothing they've done in this makes sense. Like, it, it's really hard to try to understand uh, the opposition's motivations beyond just trying to, uh, you know, destroy this and get us off the market. Yeah, that I I I I'll admit, you know, before this, before your your breakdown, I I watched a, I think Andrew sent me a YouTube video explaining it. Oh, I've been sending everybody. Videos. I know, I know. Um, <laughs> I'm actually I'm actually deeply emotionally invested in this lawsuit. I don't know if <laughs> if that's come across at yeah, all. Yeah, no, definitely. Whenever it comes up, Andrew's very passionate about it, and uh, as I'm sure many people are. Um, I've gotten, I've gotten about 10 minutes into the video before something like with my child has come up or something and I've had to say, I'll finish it later and then never have. So I appreciate the explanation, but in my limited. And, and I mean, like on a, on a personal level, this whole thing's been like incredibly offensive to me because I did everything possible to help these yeah, guys succeed when they were operational, uh, because I believed in the product. And now they claim they bought every idea inside my head, past, present, and future related to polymer receivers. The president of their company is on record saying it in deposition that every they own every idea inside my head. And essentially, I don't have a right to work in this industry producing these kind of products because somehow a distressed asset sale with a poorly written contract that has really vague terms in it 
which is, by the way, written by the law firm that's currently representing which is, them. Which is itself kind of a kind of a problem, right? I mean, uh, they potentially have a claim against their own counsel uh, <laughs> yeah. at the end of all this. Um, that's a strange position to be in. But but somehow this distressed asset sale with uh, a very poorly written contract that doesn't say CAV 15 or CAV arms anywhere in it gives them the right to every idea inside my head and all of my professional knowledge. But, they even said any other company could have done this if Russell Fagan didn't work there. This is just not how intellectual no, property is supposed to No, it seems like work. a very loose... No, it, 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 isn't, it isn't how this works. And and I'm I'm hoping uh, the judge sees our side of things and uh, this all gets dismissed before we even have to go to trial and spend another hundred to $200,000 at trial. Oh, wouldn't that be nice? Until then, everybody buy KP-15s, please. Yeah. Jesus. And then if it gets thrown out, it's it's done, right? I mean, there's no way they, can, they can't come back up. Okay, no, they yeah. could appeal. They, 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 could, they could appeal. Like, that, that's the thing is, like, people don't understand. Like, the legal system is set up to reward who can spend the most in the long term. Particularly in the, in the civil system. I mean... It's really just who who can outspend each other until you know it's it's over. Um, if there was any rationality in this, there would have been a reasonable settlement three years ago, not three years of back and forth litigation, resulting in you know seven hundred thousand dollars in legal expenses to date, uh, and wasting all of our time yeah. and energy doing something like they they could have literally taken the same amount of money they've spent on this and made two to three new molds and be cranking out product. And that's why it's like, it doesn't make sense from a business perspective that they really want to be in this industry and they really want to do anything. Yeah. Cause they're, they're funneling all their money into a lawsuit to accomplish this versus just, just making new tooling and getting on the market. Yeah. And do you, do you feel like, you know, so with that in mind, do you feel like in any of this this other stuff uh, that that you've gotten wrapped up in recently is 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 possibly related to the to to this lawsuit? Either people it, that- it would be it would be very coincidental if it wasn't. Um, and we're talking about people who uh, again have millions of dollars at the disposal, hiring opposition research firms, and. Um, you know, negative PR firms to do something like that is absolutely something within their capabilities. Because we, we know that for a long time, you know, anonymous accounts on forums have, have been a, a, a tool of, of marketing firms, right? I mean, that's that's been that's been out in the open since, you know, since about the time that I was on the Internet. Well, I mean, what, what's been interesting recently is some of the anonymous accounts with low post counts that were uh, going at me hard a few weeks ago. Uh, we're saying things like this isn't a Second Amendment fight, huh? Like the, like the, you know, like I said, I'm, I'm, I'm just being honest with you guys. Like there are Second Amendment overtones to this. This is a Second Amendment issue, but it's, it's not like the same level of Second Amendment issue as like a state's banning assault weapons. Sure, this is a very small localized fight. Um, but to say that this is straight up not a Second Amendment issue. Uh, is is wrong and very disingenuous. Yeah, I I think that given the context, I think that that's that's fair to say. 
So it all feels very contrived is, is what I'm getting at. It all it all feels very um Yeah, when it when it all when it all goes down like six weeks before trial, because trial's currently set for March twentieth, it, it leaves me with some questions. Yeah. Well. I wish that there was a resolution to this, but we're gonna have to circle back to it uh in a little while. Once you guys win and get all your money back. Well, I'm cert- certainly hoping we win. I'm cert- certainly hoping we maintain the sales volume to to see it all the way through. Um, I'm doing my best, man. I'm, the, I'm personally, I'm uh, I'm I'm pushing the uh, KP15 on as many people as I can, uh, especially first time. Uh, you know, like people that are like building or buying uh, AR15s for the first time. Right, and I I certainly appreciate that, and every every little bit helps coming in. Um, but. Personally, like this whole thing has been immensely, uh, immensely stressful for me. It's like it's been 15 to 20 hours of every week for the past three years uh, I've spent on just dealing with legal stuff. And people don't understand, like when you're dealing with a legal situation like this, like you don't just hand it over to your attorneys. and They handle everything. You have to be your own advocate. You have to provide them all the documentation. You have to provide the research. You have to get them to understand the importance of certain relevant documents and and the the technical issues at play here. And um, you know, obviously, like it for everyone involved on this side, it's ba- like I said, it's been financially draining, it's been emotionally draining, and it's basically halted our ability to develop new products. It's halted our ability to make long term business decisions. Uh, it's cost the owners of the company millions of dollars and potential uh lost business there's companies who have not bought the product because they were worried about the lawsuit that you know oem clients have turned it down because they don't want to get embroiled in the lawsuit um distributors have dropped the product because of the lawsuit they don't want to you know companies are so risk adverse um they don't want to be involved and the really fun thing about the legal system is None of that is claimable damages. How is that? How? Like you can't counter for lost profits or anything it's like soul that? crushing. Be, be, because, because if it's done as part of a litigation process. Oh. Like so just subpoenaing your biggest distributor is not damaging your business per, per the courts. Um, you know, just requesting uh, or sending a demand letter under the pretense of litigation is not damaging. Um, where uh, they screwed up in this at the beginning of this whole thing was they didn't send a demand letter to Brownells. They just CC'd them on a demand letter to us with the the intent to disrupt our business operations. But if you send a, 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 a subpoena to a business and say, we need all records related to this, and then you have to, then on you know the opposition side, you have to explain, well, why are we getting a subpoena? What's going on, et cetera? Um, do you think a distributor orders more product after they yeah, receive a subpoena not. about a particular product line? Oh, God. No. No, so incalculable damage. The owners here weren't able to sell the business. Uh, when they wanted to, to a couple different uh, investors because the lawsuit was ongoing. Um, and it's, like I said, it's it's limited our ability to do, do new products in a bunch of different ways, like really simple things like um, 
butt plate spacers. So you can take your KP15 and make the you know buttstock longer if you need a longer length of pull versus the A1 length. Uh, can't fund a twenty thousand dollar mold when you know money's just being lit on fire, being yeah. shoveled to the attorneys. Horrible. That is super so. shitty, man. It uh, what is it? Uh, April. April twentieth, right now is the is well. Suppose if it goes Mar- to trial, March twentieth is the current. I'm sorry, is I'm the bad with numbers. Date. Apparently, I'm looking at the date right now. For some reason, three <laughs> translated to April. Um. Well, hopefully it doesn't get that far. Yeah, I'm, I'm really uh, looking they... forward to a quicker resolution than that. And I think, I think honestly, yeah. I think you guys have the law, and I think that you have like just general morality on your side. Um, but well, unfortunately, morality doesn't apply to the court system. <laughs> yeah. Well, but... it, it is. It is a jury trial, and I hope the uh, if it does get oh, all yeah, the way to it... a jury, that the jury is 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 reasonable and, and, and sees our side of things as a matter of law. Yeah. Yeah, that would be I'll good. certainly have a lot more to say about all this once it's over yeah, either way. I bet. <laughs> yeah, we'll definitely have to circle circle back to that. Um Yeah, we'll just have an episode of, of pure shit talking. Yeah, just once, uh, <laughs> just air all the dirty laundry. Yeah, exactly. But in the meantime politely, politely and professionally. Yeah, in the meantime. In the meantime, uh you just set up a Patreon. Uh, yeah, and I, I honestly did that because so many people were bugging me about it. Yeah. Like, I haven't felt the need to have a Patreon for, like, my own channel and my own content. Um, because, like, it's stuff I was doing anyway for so long. So I, I, I don't have, like, perks or rewards or anything on it. I said, like, this is a virtual tip jar. If you yeah. like what I'm doing, you've learned something from what uh, you've seen in my videos, you know, Throw some change in the tip jar, and I might buy some ammo, you know, or get another match entry fee paid for or something. That's awesome. So this this money all goes towards your personal endeavors, not towards KE Arms, not towards the lawsuit, that kind of stuff. Uh, no, KE Arms and its owners have been uh, very gracious throughout this whole lawsuit, and that they have not only uh, defended me and my company totally in expenses, but they've also defended. Uh, Sean Nealon and Brownells completely. Um, Jesus, with 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 the expenses here as as well, uh, through for the whole past three years. So, uh, I I think part of the the whole idea of suing everyone was to try to create dissent and division, and um, get people pointing fingers at each other, and um, I think everyone involved just looked at it and saw how absurd this was and. Um, wasn't anything they were going to back down on. Good. Yeah. Yeah, that's how it should be. I mean, unfortunately, you can't control other people, but I'm glad it went that way. Yeah. So you, are you, um, with the addition of your, your virtual tip jar, do you have anything um, in the future for your YouTube, your content creation besides um, like match footage and gun and gear reviews? Um, you know, are you, are you going to get into like politics at all? Or, or is this, has this all kind of reaffirmed your position of staying mostly apolitical? I mean, I'll gladly talk about gun rights issues. Um, but I, I don't think it's my place to lecture people politically if they've been coming to my channel for years for a particular type of content. Um, there's other channels I followed. Yeah, there's other channels I followed that like were never that way, and then all of a sudden got that way, and it's it's off putting. Um, it's it's like um, 
imagine you're used to going to your favorite pizza place and like you go in there next week and, and they're not serving pizza anymore. They're serving sushi. Like it, it just doesn't make a lot of sense to me uh, to, to do something like that. And I, I think it also requires a certain level of, of uh, narcissism and arrogance to think that uh, your particular opinion on everything is, is, you know, more informed and somehow better than everyone else's in a particular space like that. I'm very confident talking about almost anything related to firearms. Like that's been my hyper-focus my entire adult professional life. Um, but uh, I don't want to get in, like, you want me to like talk about economic policy or something like that? I, I don't have a clue, right? <laughs> you know, at least I, you're I, honest. I'm not. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna go down that that road of of discussing things that I don't have uh, personal expertise in. Well, that seems fair. Yeah, at least you're honest there. That's. Uh, I wish more people thought like that and and took a step back and realized that they have no clue what they're talking about, so they just decided to keep their mouth shut. I, as a prolific bullshitter myself, I have a lot of admiration for your uh, restraint. But anyways. Same. <laughs> I think that's about all we got tonight. Um, you know, uh, does anybody else uh, have any pressing concerns on the... Uh, no, I'm not... <laughs> I'm just wondering how bad anything I've said on here is going to be taken out of context by the haters in the next week after this goes up. Well, we, I mean, they have the whole context of the episode to listen to, and and we've said that before. There's been a couple, like, phrases that I've said that I've said (laughs) immediately after, oh, man, that's going to get taken out of context, and it hasn't yet, thankfully. Um, Maybe that's that's just because we don't have enough uh, listeners yet. Once we maybe we break that uh, hundred million. The other, the other thing I'll, I'll say too is like I've had people go, "Aren't you worried about like?" Because I I did a whole series of posts about the case on my own pages, and um, you know people are like, "Aren't you worried about talking about the case while it's still in progress?" Like everything I've said is absolutely consistent with my deposition testimony. Uh, no one knows the history of the monolithic polymer receiver and this entire program better than I do. And by all means, to the opposition, if you feel like. Uh, the judge should know about me talking about this publicly. Please send my arguments directly to her for her yeah, consideration. Right. <laughs> that can only help. That's awesome. Yeah, I agree with that. Well, I think you guys are handling it the best way you can, and uh, I think you're doing a, a, a bang up job. And we we definitely support you if that means anything. Us us too. That's, yeah, people. Just us chickens. Chickens. Well, we'll, we'll take all the internet weirdos on our side that we can get. <laughs> yes. Weebs unite. <laughs> I'm, a, no, I'm not I'm, one no, of No, I'm you. just kidding. I, I, I don't think I'm in the weeb category myself. No, I know. I'm not either. I definitely overuse that word uh, for things that it doesn't mean. I was into I was into anime until I went to college and uh, met other people uh, who were into anime. Yeah, period. Here's the deal. The only appropriate anime to watch as an adult male is anything that's just like hyper violent. But if you're watching high school drama anime, there's problems. Oh, God. Yeah. I will say like I, I used to love Dragon Ball Z like that era. I wouldn't even yeah, when, I was, sure some people when I was a child. Don't call yeah. it anime. I Yeah. I don't know. There's still a part of me that I think it's like watching the never-ending story no. as an adult. No, it's not, man. If you go to back me, and watch Dragon Ball Z, it's so hard to watch. For me, it is. Really? 
It's hard. It's tough. It's I don't rough, know. There's, dude. there's part of me that still appreciates it. Inuyasha? For what it is. Oof. For what it is. Ooh, no, woof. no, 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 no. I remember that. I remember my, Bad. my sister dressing up as a dog and stuff. And Yeah, just not having a good time. That was a weird era. <laughs> it was a weird era of my life. I, I, yeah. I mean, if we're talking about, like, gun-centered anime, uh, Hellsing's probably my favorite. Yeah, it's a classic. Yeah. I remember that Andrew, how do you even know what that is? You said you don't watch anime. I did watch anime until oh, I went okay. to college Excuse and me. and I realized oh these are the people that like anime and, and I didn't want anything to do with it anymore. But Helsing was before my time. Helsing was like, you know, came out when I was in like elementary school. So it was like old when I got to it. And yeah. I remember so like Helsing, Trigun, um Cowboy Bebop, these were all these yeah. were all like pivotal like gun people animes. When I was when I was in like high school, and that's that's I mean, that must have been part of what got me into like gun culture when I when I became when I became a man. I think anime back in the day, like people made anime their personality, and I think that was the that's thing true. that turned a lot of people off. Yeah, from it. for me, it was is that I I liked a lot of these shows. Like I loved Cowboy Bebop, but I never wore anything from any of the shows. Yeah. Like I never, I never was like, hey, uh, you know, it would be totally realistic and not get me pushed into a locker is let me wear this headband to high school. Like I never, I never Naruto did like, headbands. I, I had the, holy shit, yeah, dude. Uh, yeah. I don't knock anybody who did it, but I, but I had enough self-awareness to know that I was already low enough on the social hierarchy <laughs> as it was. And I didn't need to go any lower. I'll, I'll share with you guys a, a, an answer to a question I had on my Q and a on in range, which was furries or weebs. And the, uh, the, the context I answered it in is I've employed both furries and weaves, and the furries are far more industrious because their hobby <laughs> is expensive. Yeah, I uh, that. The, Those fursuits are expensive where weaves just pirate all their anime, uh, and they don't have big costs associated with it, so uh, they are inherently lazy. So if you got to pick between hiring <laughs> furries or weaves... Hire the furries. They got a $3,000 fursuit. They got to put a deposit down on. They need to put those hours in. They're also better at compartmentalizing. They're inherently discreet. Uh, That's probably true. (laughs) That's probably true. The the owner once asked me, well, which ones are the furries? And he kept guessing, and it was the wrong ones. Yeah. Then he's like, I don't care. Hire more employees. They they work hard. They're not ashamed. They're just very, they, they just divide their life up. When you said compartmentalization, I imagined like with trauma. No, no, not <laughs> like compartment syndrome. No, I mean like yeah, you yeah, know. Yeah. No, compartment syndrome is a it's medical. Like, problem. Right now is when I'm at work, and then later is when I'm at the is when I'm in the in the first suit. Yes, yes. And there's no crossover. There, there's no compartmentalization in my life. It's all on that Sigma gun industry grind set twenty four seven. That's it. That's it, man. That's what it is. I'm the trying to do, sentence. yeah, I, I, I have the, I, I would like to say the benefit of being able to turn this off at some point. I mean, very rarely, my wife would disagree with that statement. She would say that it's never off and it's, I'm constantly involved in it, with it, but, uh, I'm lucky that, and I say lucky because, uh, I can get that little break every now and then, but she's not really into guns. She doesn't mind guns. She just doesn't view them as, as a hobby or uh, she's never really gotten into them. She's apathetic. You, you're not really in the gun community if you have a healthy relationship with anyone. <laughs> with anyone. With anyone. <laughs> <laughs> a bold statement. 
Oh my god! I'm not you're challenging significant that. other. I don't think you have the full commitment. Yeah, to being true. in the gun community. I, I think that can be said about a lot of different hobbies. I'm starting to doubt your commitment. <laughs> if you have the time to devote to another, you are not devoted enough to the guns. Yeah. Well, I made See, a baby I with her, so I fucked myself there. Like, <laughs> like that sort of humor, but people take it too seriously. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, I, don't, I know. We don't take anything that seriously here. No, not li- this whole podcast is a joke. I don't know if you. I don't know if you uh, listen to any of our other episodes. I I was worried that maybe you wouldn't pre- be prepared for our chaotic energy, but actually, I feel like we did a good job of reining it in this time. We did a really good job. It was, this, it was definitely my show it. notes before the before it started. That's what it was. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You're like, okay, most people don't give a shit about what they talk about. Yeah. <laughs> so like, so like, <laughs> maybe five guests have asked to see the show notes that I make before the show, right? Which are usually pretty. If you're general. listening to this as a future guest, we'll definitely let you show. Yeah. We'll show them to they're you. They're not secret for the most part. They're not finished, but <laughs> that's why we don't <laughs> yeah. send them to you beforehand. Yeah, because the I'm most part we're. we're I'm badgering Andrew 24 hours before we're supposed to have the uh, have the guest on, and I'm like, "Hey, did you get a chance to write in there?" And he's like, "Yeah, I'm working on it right now." <laughs> so it's nothing personal; like we're trying to hide anything from yeah. you. Yeah, but 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 we will show them to you, and we'll even give you access, uh, edit access to the document um, because it's a collaboration, you know. Um, but yeah, so like five guests maybe have like expressed interest in seeing the notes and Russell is the only one that has ever actually gone in and edited anything. And it, and it, it did, yeah. it did have a, a good effect on, on where we, we took the, uh, the conversation. Yeah. I mean, it was, so we actually had one guest on here. Who was it? Uh, Andrew, you might remember who was it that you wrote all of our talking points down for and. He hit them all almost in order, like he was reading them from a script. Oh, I don't remember who without that us was. Cu- without he us had never seen him it at all. He had never seen it. He didn't no, even know it was we super had weird. Notes, but he was so, like <laughs> hitting the fucking. To counter your argument, Russell, <laughs> it was it it flowed naturally into into these these talking points, which I just thought was absolutely wild. Oh, it was um, black ATX tactical. Yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> He was like, oh, we, yeah, we probably didn't hit on anything you guys wanted to talk about. And I was like, actually, we hit on every single thing, which is really weird because we never do that. <laughs> but same with this. Yeah. I'm, I'm glad that you, uh, that, you, that you put in some things and took out some things that you wanted to talk about and didn't want to talk about because I feel like we got a lot in here. And, yeah. If, uh, <laughs> are very... if you feel like uh, there's some topics or, or some names that we've been purposefully avoiding, uh, there's a reason. I, I think that sometimes just giving mentioning people gives them more power and yeah. uh, more notoriety than they deserve. I feel that. Yes. Although we definitely have episodes where we blatantly talk shit about <laughs> certain, certain yeah, people. But it's, they, they started been, it. No, people have been like, don't give them any don't give them any attention. Don't don't give them any more publicity. And then we'll be like, yeah, we're not going to do that. And then spend the first 30 minutes of an episode <laughs> fucking going on about it. <laughs> What publicity are we going to give someone with like 100,000 followers on Instagram? Yeah, it's not real. From... Instagram is not real. No. I mean, it is, but it the isn't. In- the internet's fake. See, I... Sort of. I know I'm never going to truly be successful on Instagram because I don't record the same drill 100 times and post the best take. Yeah, that's what it there is. There are a lot of people who do that. Uh, uh, anything you see in my match footage happens like completely organically. And uh, it, it's on the clock in public. I uh, 
speaking of matches, I was watching. So I, I sometimes when I'm sitting with my wife, I'll pull up YouTube, and it's somebody who's been on YouTube. I'll pull up their YouTube channel and show her videos of who I'm going to talk to. Like, see, honey, look, I've made it. Um, this guy's this guy's a big YouTube celebrity, and she usually doesn't get it. It's fine. <laughs> it's like, she okay, honey, let's me get you and to bed. I love her. Yeah, she's really sweet about it, and she. It's nice you talk videos. to your internet friends. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> But uh, I told her this year, I was like, I-, I have to go to Woodland Brutality. That was like the one thing that people said that I should go to. And I told Carl I'd be there. And now I'm telling you I'm going to be there. And I, I don't know if I'm going to be competing yet, but at least I want to come down and hang out. I just, you should uh, definitely be there in uh, Nightmare Division for your first time. What is that? Don't, don't worry ask about questions it. about Nightmare Division. You're just going to be there and experience it. <laughs> You'll Do, find uh, out. All right. Well, just give me like a gear list. At least there, there, there is a I'll... there is a packing list for Nightmare Division. You will be camping overnight on the range. Oh uh, my god! Be prepared for unpleasantness. That's awesome. No, See, in I want seriousness, to... no, that you you don't want to do that for your first match. Okay. Like we have people do that. They register for their first match ever in Ultra Nightmare difficulty, um, and it has interesting results. Kind of like jumping into the pool with a cinder block tied around your feet for your basic sim- swimming lesson yeah well that makes me even more interested but i uh i feel that i have a lot of things to work on before then mainly i'm like completely scattered ab- about as far as my gear goes i'm not uh okay so here's what i'll tell I'm, you no no one is ever ready for their first match yeah <laughs> yeah you gotta like, do you it have first to go you have to go and then react to what you learned going there. I like that. Yeah, that that makes sense. Just fucking send it, dude. It's the initial intimidation of going. Yeah. And I granted, this is like of all gun comp, like shooting competitions, this is the one that I feel the most comfortable at because I'm like these are my people. Yeah, these, not, like <laughs> the other weirdos are there. There's no, going to just be like, someone like every... in a ridiculous costume with a mask on that can't even see their sights shooting. Awesome. Like, I mean, that's awesome. all. There's always that person there. Um, we had someone last year painted up like a Simpsons character, like <laughs> yellow paint flaking <laughs> off of them everywhere as they're doing. That's the amazing. We we did have someone show up in a a a uh, Judy Hopps bunny costume with the full head prosthetic thing. Holy shit! Yeah. Now, these are all horrible ideas, and if you want to see what you need to do to be competitive, you can watch my channel um, and my Desert Brutality I've seen coverage. a couple of years. But, uh, yeah, like, there's a lot of people who it's, it's just fun. It's essentially like, uh, you know, hey, when, it, when it's your time on the clock, it's your racetrack. You can crash into the wall if you want, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Some people just live for it. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. Yeah, this is exactly what makes me want to go, to be honest. It just, it sounds like it's a great first, I mean, regardless of your experience level, it sounds like it's, it's for somebody who's done a very limited amount of competitions. It sounds like it'd be a good time. Uh, what makes it easier than a lot of other competitions, even though it's physically challenging is we can coach you on the stages. There's no rules against that. Like there are at other venues and the stages are linear. You will literally do the stage in sequence, regardless of, um, what division you're in or whatever you're you're going to go to point a to point b to point c and engage the targets in the same sequence so there's no planning there's no memorization it's not like other venues where like your footwork and um like memorizing a dance routine of how you're getting through the stage to see 37 targets <laughs> to double tap um it's it's really yeah. about like just how fast can you do it 
That's cool. Yeah, it makes it. Uh, that sounds like a, I, I've only ever done IDPA. That's kind of what that's like. Where it's 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 like you know you you know where you're going before you before you start it. Yeah, and and I mean IDPA stages are inherently more limited in their round count by based on their rules. So like they don't have the memorization that like multi gun or USPSA does um, by default. And uh, I'll, I'll tell you after after competing actively for 22 years, I am I am tired of memorizing where all the paper targets are. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I don't blame you. Do you guys use steel targets or paper or a mixture we, of both? We, we primarily, one of our design philosophy things for brutality matches is just minimizing reset, which means using as much steel as possible. That's cool. No, no one enjoys having to go tape 20 paper targets between every shooter. No. So if we can set up five, cool. three to five steel targets that you engage from multiple positions after doing physical challenges, it accomplishes the same thing without... Um, having a bunch of wasted time taping and, and resetting. Yeah, that makes sense. Cool. I, uh, yeah, like I said, I'll definitely be there either. Uh, I'll probably end up. Did you register already? Competing. No, should I? Do I, should I mean, I, I, I can send you the media registration link. Media, like it's, yeah, like, like you I'll, get you like we let you in the match because you're media and you're going to help us promote it. Oh, sick! I would be totally happy to do that. So, oh wait, is it closed? Is that why? It, like it's it's, it's like, full currently with forty people on the oh, wait I'm list. I'm a fucking asshole. What's that? <laughs> oh, I'm a fucking asshole. I didn't know. <laughs> uh, it's in March, right? It's in May. 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 What the? Well, I was like March. Yeah, see, March, this is clear, March clearly is unprepared. Brutality at the same range in West Virginia. Oh, okay. Okay. And we're, we are we are investigating having another event there in the fall because this one filled up so fast. There's clearly a hunger for this format of shooting on the East Coast, so we're going to try to start making yeah, more events yeah. happen. I'm more likely to be able to go in the fall because uh, in in uh, May I'm going to have a two month old here. Gotcha. <laughs> You know, and I, I would feel I, bullshit excuse. No, I would feel bad. I would feel bad being like, yeah. all right, honey, you take care of my, you take care of this chaotic toddler and this brand new baby. And I'm going to go shoot guns yeah. with my friends in West Virginia. My friends. Uh, ab abandon your wife to go shoot a match. Be a man. <laughs> I've, yeah, I've done yeah. it before, but not <laughs> since we had kids. Yeah. I'm, I'm used to doing it. Well, yeah, everything changed once we had kids. I used to go on these like multi day and night motorcycle expeditions with my friends and just engage in debaucherous the activities, boys. which makes it sound worse than it is. But there was just a lot of, a lot of, uh, free spirits and, and good times. And I would send her pictures and videos and she'd be at home, like watching say yes to the dress. Like, Oh, that's great, honey. <laughs> and yeah. And she'd be like, I'm glad you're having fun, but haven't done it yet. Haven't done it since we had the, uh, the kid but i already cleared this with her when we had carl on i said there's one thing now it's turning into this and shot show but shot show is going to be a stretch but this has been cleared already and uh and it's okay for me to go down for a couple yeah days. i think it's what two days yeah it's it's yeah. a two-day event cool i'll probably sleep in my car yeah, <laughs> there, there are or a something. lot of people who camp on the range just because it's it's about forty to cool. forty five minutes away from the closest town. 
So, um, oh, perfect. So a lot of people just camp out there for two days. That's awesome. Beautiful. Yeah, I'm excited. That yeah, if you could send me that link, man, that would be fantastic. Because even if I even if I don't end up competing, I'll promote the shit out of it. Well, uh, I think it's it's worth coming out to. Like, even if you don't compete, to like you know, take some pictures and video, and you'll there's always interesting people to talk to at these yeah. things. Like, you might find future guests for your your podcast on there. Yeah, that would be yeah, that'd be awesome. Beautiful. Plus, I get to see you and Carl, and that's a win. And probably tactical girlfriend if she goes. Uh, I don't think she'll be going to this one. May maybe some of her other events later in the year. Gotcha. Oh, because she, she's West Coast. Yeah, but she's she's West Coast somewhere, so pro- more gotcha. likely to be at one of our West Coast events. Fair, fair. Awesome, man. Um, well, before we cut you loose. We have to ask you. We have a little ritual. All of our guests. Um, it is it is a rite of passage for you to be able to legally clear the end of this podcast without ramifications. Um, from Andrew, I'm making this up, and it's not going well. Um, <laughs> no, it was a good try. <laughs> we just uh, I tried. I just ended we up. We just in the ask mud. people. Uh, you know, do do you have any sort of uh advice on any subject, quality of life, just some little nugget of wisdom that you feel like people are sleeping on? Um, doesn't have to be related to anything that we talked about today. Hmm. Uh, that's. I mean, that's that's pretty broad. Um, it's supposed to be. I don't know. So I have a lot of people. Uh, particularly like from the in range audience that like come, come to me, like I'm some sort of like uh celebrity or superhero with regarding shooting and stuff like that. And uh, my response to a lot of them is like, anybody can do what I'm doing. If you put the same amount of time and energy into it. And there's people who are, who are, are better at it than I am with less time and energy because they, they've done more focused training and practice or they've, they started at a younger age, that sort of thing. But, um, Everyone can pursue personal excellence, and uh, I think the uh, competition shooting sports are a great venue to do that in uh, in this community. Hell yeah! Awesome. You know that's one of the things that 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 really um, drew me into shooting because I was always kind of into guns, but then when I finally actually got into like shooting. Um, it was really interesting because it was, it was something that like, there was sort of this linear scaling of like the amount of time and work I put into it and how good I got at it. And there were very few things at that time of my life that I got that like immediate feedback from. Right. Uh, I mean, that's, that's one of the benefits of competing is like, if you're doing what you need to do, you'll have a better result on a weekly basis. Right or a monthly basis if you're competing monthly. So, yeah, that makes sense. Hell yeah, man! I wish that applied to my swimming skills. <laughs> it, it always comes up. It always comes up. He can't. He can't swim. Right? This is the is the joke. Uh, clearly, you need more body fat for buoyancy. <laughs> That's what it is. I can float. I just can't. I just just can't don't swim. move, and you'll be fine. Just lay, lay back yeah. and think of the ocean. Yeah, exactly. Think of everything swimming below me. Um, awesome, man. Well, Russell, thank you for coming on and talking about all this stuff. Um, 
it was really great to hear your point of view on some of these things. All the things, not that there weren't certain things that uh, we didn't want to hear your point of view on, but... Um, <laughs> That's enough. <laughs> it was great talking to you. Yeah, time to go. Um, it was great. We really appreciate it, and uh, we hope you have a great rest of your week. All right. Appreciate it, guys. Have Thanks for again. having me. Have a good night. Just enjoy your night, because it's still young. The night is still young in Arizona. All right. Well... Arizona never sleeps. Not so fast. So since recording this, we got an update from Russell regarding their case with GWAX. And uh, this is straight from him. Since recording this, we have learned that GWAX claims against Russell, his company, Brownells, and Neelan have all been dismissed. KE Arms remains as the only defendant with a settlement conference to be had before trial and trial delayed until at least April. This is awesome news. Uh, This is no longer Russell talking. This is awesome news. So... Just an update so you know where everything is, and this is the ending for real.